This is Lead Like It Matters to God, and I'm Rich Stearns. I started this podcast to explore a critical leadership question. How should Christian leaders live out their faith at work? Over the course of my career, I've been the CEO of a toy company, a luxury goods company, and a large Christian ministry. And I've always believed that a leader's character is more important to God than a leader's accomplishments. On each episode, I'll be speaking with a seasoned Christian leader to explore their leadership journey and the values and qualities they believe to be most important in a leader. My guest today is Dr. Nicole Massey-Martin. Dr. Martin has a resume of accomplishments so long that I had to shorten it for fear we would never get to our interview. She is the Assistant Professor of Ministry and Leadership Development at Gordon-Conwell in Charlotte. She's active in ministry as the Discipleship Lead at Kingdom Fellowship AME Church in Maryland. Dr. Martin is the author of Made to Lead, Empowering Women for Ministry, and a book called Leaning In, Letting Go, a best-selling Lenten devotional. She's been inducted into the prestigious Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Board of Preachers at Morehouse College, and she is the founder of Soulfire International Ministries, which focuses on empowering others to reach their fullest potential in Christ. Nicole, with all you've got going on, I especially want to thank you for making time to join my podcast today. Thanks for squeezing me in and welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Rich. It's an honor to be here. I want to start uh, just with the first question about your book, Made to Lead, Empowering mm-hmm. Women for Ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing we have in common is that we've both written books on leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, so first of all, tell us why you chose leadership as the topic of, I think, your very first book. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I started kind of, I, I backed my way into the book through my doctoral program. Um, my doctoral studies were on redemptive leadership. And through the program, this idea of redemptive leadership really resonated with me. It's the sense that traditional leadership takes you up, 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 you know, success on success. Redemptive mm-hmm. leadership models more the path of the cross. You go down, 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 deep, deep, deep. And it allows you to embrace failure, embrace mistakes, embrace the authentic self and the authentic experience, not in a way that dismisses it, let's take that out of the resume, but in a way that actually deepens who you are. So I could not help but see how valuable redemptive leadership would be for women, because I know how valuable mm-hmm. it is for myself. Women struggle you know, with imposter syndrome. We struggle with a sense of belonging. So my doctoral program kind of helped me to hone in on what does redemptive leadership look like for women? So, you know, in the process of getting a doctorate, you have to find all of the resources out there that are similar or that help you to dig deeper. And I continually hit walls when it came to women in ministry leadership, because there are tons of books describing whether or not we should lead and very few books Mm -hmm. that teach us how. So I, I kind of came to the end of my rope and I, I began praying about this, like, how, how am I supposed to find resources to learn how to do this as a woman, as a woman in ministry? And the response was, it's because you're going to write that book. You're going to write the how. Yes. And that's where it came well, from. Well, that, I mean, that really resonates with me, that notion of redemptive leadership or yes. almost downward mobility, yes. which is so antithetical to our culture, which is so success oriented, right. success driven. and. Right. You know, my my whole book on leadership, uh, the first two chapters, I write about 17 leadership qualities uh, yep. that uh, 
should characterize a Christian leader. And yes. the first two chapters are on surrender and sacrifice. And my wife, my wife said to me, are you sure you want to start your leadership book with surrender and sacrifice? Nobody's going to read to chapter three after that, you know, yes. and, but the whole gist of my book is that, you know, Christian leaders need to be different. They need to be surrendered right. to the Lord's purposes. Right. They right. need to be willing to sacrifice uh, yes. their own career for the yes. benefit of others or for the yes. benefit of the kingdom. Yes. <clears throat> and it's just a, a very different understanding of, mm -hmm. you know, I call the book lead like it matters to God. What matters to God in our leadership is not the success we achieve or the title on our business card, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, were we people of character and how do we represent Christ in our workplace um, effectively? And But I want to dig down a little bit on the question of women in leadership um, and your passion on that. And you're right. I don't think there's a lot of books uh, for women in leadership that have been written that, that really deal with the unique issues that, yes. that women often have and women of color certainly have as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, for the past 2,000 years, uh, women have been held back in Christian churches and ministries mm -hmm. by theological concerns, largely based mm -hmm. on the writing of Paul mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in scripture. Um, so this is an ongoing debate. I can remember when I was a young man, um, it was very rare to have a woman in the pulpit or yeah. preach or even on the board of elders of a yeah. church or board of deacons. And mm -hmm. today, a lot has changed just in you know a few decades. And there are many, many more women pastors, preachers, yes. youth pastors, um, ministry leaders. Yeah. Um, but it's still an uphill battle for women in leadership. So talk a little bit about how the theology works into this and mm. how you speak about that in your book. Yeah. So one of the points that I try to make early on is this is my book was not designed to be an advocacy for complementarianism versus egalitarianism. And the reason why is because I am not making an argument about whether or not women should. I'm trying to equip the women who know that they have to. Like there's a certain mm -hmm. part of leadership that I know you talk about where there's a certain have to about leadership. And when you have a calling on your life, you're not so much concerned about whether or not you speak from the pulpit or speak from the floor. The deep concern is that you speak. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a matter of whether you're able to lead the women or the women and the men. It is the fact that God has equipped you to lead. And mm -hmm. one of the one of the ways that I have kind of um, wrestled with this theologically is we tend to only look at the mainstream message, for example, of Paul. And we tend to only look at it, what we would think is a mainstream message of scripture as a whole. Women were subservient to men. Um, Old Testament, there aren't women who are prominent. But I believe that there is another story that shows up perhaps on the fringes of scripture that becomes as dominant as the main story as well. So for me, you cannot only see the story of heritage through Sarah and Abraham. You must see the story of Hagar. You must see that God's hand is on Hagar's life, that God mm -hmm. has a calling and a purpose for Hagar's life. For example, you, you, can't, you can't just say Paul didn't want women to speak and not read the end of Romans and see where he commends his sis, our sister Phoebe to read this mm -hmm. most precious letter. It is Phoebe who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It is Phoebe mm-hmm. who says, you know, what shall separate us from the love of God? And, and, and you cannot you cannot say Paul did not believe in women pastors and also and just gloss over Priscilla and Aquila. So for me, I think the, the theology is a discipline of seeing the stories that we might think are on the fringes, but are also part of the main story. Luke does mm-hmm. this so well, right? It, Luke tells yeah. the detailed story of what's the main scene, but he also brings in the margins. He brings in the women who, who paid for Jesus's ministry. You know, he brings in right. the women that Jesus stops and pays attention to. They're not marginal. They're mainstream. We just got to look. Oh, I love I that. Like you I know, I go on and on. <laughs> I, well, you're preaching now, girl. You're preaching. You yeah. know, I, uh, I just finished binge watching season one of The Chosen, and I don't know if you've watched that series. It is phenomenal. You've got to watch it, and it it does a wonderful job with the the women in in the life of Jesus. But Mm. the last episode I watched was about the Samaritan woman at the well, the encounter with Jesus at the at the well by the Samaritan woman, and um, you know, of course, Jesus wasn't supposed to speak to any Samaritan yeah. uh, because Samaritans were unclean and theologically yeah. impure, and yeah. people literally walked miles out of their way to avoid Samaria. Jews That's did, right. That's right. let alone a Samaritan woman, because yeah. you you definitely would not be seen talking to a woman uh, yep. of Samaritan heritage yep. um, in that in that time and in that mm-hmm. culture, and yet. Jesus makes a lot of time for this woman and yes. has quite a dialogue with her and actually reveals to her that he is the Messiah, there that he go. is the Messiah. One of the first right. people, right. if not the first person, where he actually stated yeah. that I am the Messiah. Yeah. And then he, she returns to her town, mm-hmm. again, a town that was despised by Jews because it yeah. was all Samaritans. Yeah. And she becomes the first evangelist of the gospel. Yeah. The first evangelist. And and right. in scripture, it literally says this. It said, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him yes. because of the woman's testimony. There you go. The woman's testimony. You know, so. Awesome. You know, it it, it makes no sense to me um, as a male yeah. that God would somehow expect half of the human race that he created to remain yeah. silent. Right. Yeah. To, to, to not be involved in the building and furthering right. of the kingdom of God. And That's right. so That's right. women have such an important role to play. And in so yeah. many churches, women are the backbone of yes. those churches, right? Yes. They, they're the volunteers. They're the yes. ones that show up early in the morning and get ready right. for the Sunday school and, and work in the nursery and, mm-hmm. and, and teach the classes and, and, and do all of those things. So yes. it's, uh, it's really, you know, a, a church or a ministry that doesn't take advantage of the giftedness of women is missing out on, uh, you know, such an important aspect of God's intended creation, you know, the way I he intended agree. things to be. Totally agree. You know, um, some of those theological challenges that pastors and denominations face on, you know, mm-hmm. should we be complementarian or egalitarian? Mm-hmm. It seems like parachurch organizations yes. have more and more moved beyond those issues, yes. because once you take it out of the context of this is the church yep. and, and you say, well, this is the parachurch, it's a homeless mm-hmm. ministry. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, I worked at World Vision for 20 mm-hmm. years, um, a parachurch ministry. And one of the one of the biggest in the world, I think 40,000 employees in a hundred countries. Yeah. Uh, this is a big, big organization. And 
I served under four board chairs mm -hmm. during my 20 years at World Vision. Two were women and mm -hmm. two were men mm -hmm. who were in leadership positions above me yeah. as my board chairs. And then we divided the world into seven regions, you know, mm -hmm. and we had to have a kind of a vice president leading each region. And each of those vice presidents was responsible for nine nations, you know, nine countries oh, yes, and, or more in some cases. Yeah. And, uh, just before I left World Vision, retired mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, four of those seven regional leaders were women. And wow. they were they were women in very patriarchal mm -hmm. uh, cultures. So mm -hmm. the, the head of Latin America was a woman. And of course, mm -hmm. Latin America has a very male-oriented machismo yeah. kind of culture. Yeah. Uh, two of the three African leaders were yeah. women. Yeah. Again, mm -hmm. in a culture where men tend to dominate mm -hmm. um, women in many ways culturally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But World Vision found that some of the most gifted people we had in the organization mm -hmm. were these women that that were amazing leaders and mm -hmm. uh, you know just a, amazingly good at at what they what they do. Why do you think parachurch organizations maybe have made more progress than uh, than churches? Yeah. You know, I think I think you are naming this important reality and I think one one lane is for some people, the church mirrors family structures, biblical family structures. So the husband is the head of the household. Therefore, a man must be the head of the church. In parachurch mm -hmm. organizations, you don't have that kind of theological family system at play as much. Um, I know that mm -hmm. there are nonprofits that do function in many ways like churches, but at the core, um, there isn't a sense that there's a, a an organizational head of the household in the same way that we see the mm -hmm. church. I think the other reality is some of the nation's oldest and most effective parachurch organizations were started by women. So whether that's the Red Cross or, you know, feeding programs or other programs mm -hmm. that really meet the needs of the poor, I think there is a sense in parachurch organizations that they are in service to the church. So because it's mm -hmm. in service to the church, then theologically, it's allowed to be the maid servant. It's allowed, you know, you're allowed to be the accompaniment to the to the main player. And I think theologically, mm -hmm. people may give more room to that. So if you think of nonprofits or, or uh, parachurch organizations as charity based or as missional, uh, perhaps there's not as much pressure to have to adhere to a family code mm -hmm. in the church in the same way. Yeah. But it's sad. It, it does. It does make me sad. You know, another dimension of that is so at World Vision, you know, there was much at stake. In fact, uh, in the mm -hmm. introduction to your book, you say leadership matters because there is so much at stake. You, yes. you know, that's a quote from your book. And yes. And, um, you know, when children are dying in the world right. of hunger and malaria and, 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 and preventable causes, uh, yes. dirty water. Yes. Um, and you're an organization that's trying to save the lives of children. Yep. You, everybody needs to pitch in. I mean, mm -hmm. if you've got women that are incredible leaders, use yeah. them, you know, <laughs> deploy right. them, you know, send them. You're saving lives. You know, don't right. don't stand on the sidelines and argue about whether. Well, should we allow women to exactly. save the lives of these children or exactly. should we make sure men are saving the lives of these children? Yes. And meanwhile, meanwhile, the children are perishing. Right. Yes. You know, and so there's no time to uh, to have those arguments. And it's it's yeah. all hands on deck, you know, Agreed. for uh, sometimes a parachurch organization. Totally agree. 
Unpack that statement from your book, though, that there's so much at stake. You know, this is one of the reasons why it's so important for women to find their leadership um, yeah. uh, calling, uh, yeah. because there's so much at stake. What's at stake? Oh, man, what a great question. Well, okay, so first of all, I think there are spiritual elements of what's at stake for leaders who are called to lead. And at the core of what's at stake is the gospel. And because the gospel is at stake, then souls are at stake. And because souls are at stake, then literally lives are dependent on your ability to heed Mm -hmm. the call of God and to lead well. So if there's this much at stake, if essentially the kingdom is dependent on your leadership, then there is a certain fear and trepidation that comes with leading. Um, I'll never forget when I um, first started out in ministry, I was super ambitious. I really felt like, you know, I need to get to the top as fast as possible. (laughs) Just kind of (laughs) like chart my path and go for it. I came into ministry out of consulting and in consulting world, you, you start as a business analyst, you go to business school, you get promoted. And every year, if you're not moving up, you get fired. So there's a pressure to keep moving up. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I carried that into the church. So I started out as minister of young adults and singles, and I kept pushing forward. I became the minister of discipleship. And then I kept pushing. I'll never forget. I even told my pastor, I said, my next step is to be your executive pastor. <laughs> it's like, there you go. Okay. It's not quite how it works. but um, yeah, you know, You're 24, you know, but maybe. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> And as time progressed by, you know, as the Lord would have it, I did become the executive pastor. And I will never forget those first weeks and months. The burden that I felt was something I had not anticipated. I only expected that in leading, I would get visibility. I would influence a whole lot of people and I would do my best work. I forgot about the burden of ministry. I didn't realize how much was at stake until I got into it. And Mm -hmm. I started to realize my words mattered. I started to realize how I treat somebody mattered. I I started to realize that when you sit one person down from a ministry, it's actually not just about that person. It's about all those hundreds of people that are watching you deal with this person and execute and discipline. I started to realize I I was a new mom at that time. How I led had implications on my children. And how they saw me lead would be how they led. I saw the generational impacts. I recognized how I treated my ministry leaders, um, that they were watching how I treated my husband. You know, like Mm -hmm. as much as we try to isolate ministry as work or leadership as work, what's at stake is it's a whole gamut. I mean, when I if I don't lead well, Mm -hmm. I have the ability to negatively impact hundreds of people for many generations. And that's what makes me say, if God doesn't do this in me and through me, then I, it can't be done. So you're, I, I want to pick up on that whole idea that mm-hmm. leadership is consequential, especially Christian yeah. leadership is consequential. Yeah. And when leaders don't get it right, yes. Um, yes. you know, it, it, the impact is on hundreds, if not thousands of people, because it's the witness of the gospel. It's a witness of our, uh, your church. It's the mm-hmm. If you're a pastor, it's your congregation. If you're a ministry head, it's the, all the people that are touched by your ministry. And yeah. so I want to mention, you know, the sad fact that we have seen in recent months and years, major leadership failures yeah. in both large churches yeah. and ministries. That's right. Um, many of them very high profile Christian leaders, nationally yeah. known names. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and 
and given our, you know, our Christian values and belief mm-hmm. beliefs and the importance of our witness uh, mm-hmm. to the culture, uh, you would hope that these kinds of very visible failures would yes. be extremely rare, you know, yes. that they would be just extremely rare. Yes. What do you think has led to what seems like a mm-hmm. bit of an epidemic yeah. of leadership failures? And some of those failures are sexual harassment. Yes. Uh, some of them are covering things up, you know, covering yes. up the abuse of children, yes. um, you know, at a camp or, you know, in a, in a ministry. Yep. Uh, some are financial mm-hmm. uh, embezzlement or money mm-hmm. being taken, um, you know, sexual abuse in the workplace. Mm-hmm. There's, or, or sometimes it the, the fall of the leader is just because of a toxic leadership yeah. style and culture that yes. was demeaning to the people in the organization. And That's right. What, what do you think um, is, has caused some of that? What, what yeah. What's different? What are, What are we missing? Uh, Man, there's so much. And, you know, even just hearing, there's so many stories that come to my mind that cause me to grieve over the, the, the moments that have been missed. And I think, I think one is um, just kind of this inability to keep a sense of accountability around us. And for me, accountability does not look like the echo chamber of the yes people. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, accountability is truth. It looks like truth tellers in your life, people who have the right to tell you no. And mm-hmm. I, when I look at some of the things that are happening, I think and reflect on my own life and I realize it is always valuable. I need at least a handful of people that have the right to pick up the phone or send me a text and say, Nicole, I think you need to slow down. Or mm-hmm. I think this is heading in the wrong direction. People that I actually listen to. And I recognize the higher we get in leadership, the smaller those, the smaller those circles can be. So it's actually on me as a leader mm-hmm. to keep those circles real, to keep giving people permission mm-hmm. to correct and giving them permission to hold me accountable. I also think of like, you know, people like Parker Palmer have been writing about things like this for a while. This idea that if we're not careful, we can get sucked into our roles and lose touch with our souls. So there is a mm-hmm. certain kind of um, a narcissism that can happen in leadership, especially with public figures. Um, there's a feeding of our own need for affirmation, our need for uh, an applause. I don't think that those are things that are bad in and of themselves, but they do have a way of creeping up in the place of our relationships with God, for example. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Sometimes I can be looking for an amen and not really be as attentive to what, I, what people are amening to. You know, like I have to... Yeah. There has to be a certain, there has to be a certain attention to my own soul. And perhaps that attention to my soul is what says to me, I'm exhausted and I can't go and lean Mm -hmm. in this season because I need some time away. Perhaps attention to my soul is what says, I can't go and preach tonight because I need to pay attention to my kids or my husband. So I think there are a number of factors and a number of variables, but what stand I take away from that personally, the need for the right community, for accountability, and the need to consistently pay attention to God's work in my soul, that I would never be so yeah. absorbed in, in what I'm doing, that that becomes who I am. You know, I'm, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that answer. And, um, yeah. you know, I have a phrase I use quite a bit that a leader should never believe their own press clippings. One last thing on these scandals. Um, 
it seems like 95% of the moral failures, financial misdealing, and sexual harassment that we see in our culture is perpetrated by men. And 95% is generous. It's generous. Do do you have a word for the men out there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, <laughs> where do you? That's your next book. That's your next book. A word <laughs> for the men out there. Yeah. So you know some of the principles that you're talking about. I, I think in some ways are required for women in leadership because of the places where we enter. So as I hear you talking about the World Vision leaders, who you know over the different regions, and most of them are women, it it strikes me as well. Of course they are. Why? Because women have had to learn in leadership some principles of navigating in male-dominated spaces that men did not have to learn at the same pace in order to succeed. For example, women have had to learn, women in leadership have had to learn how to say that how you say something is actually more important than what you say. You know, we've had to learn that asking a question might actually um, kind of ease the the dis-ease as opposed to making a statement. We've had to learn that, you know, um, leaning into mentorship might actually help you build your skill set in different ways and and be entering the room in a with a humble posture in for better or worse, feeling like you don't belong, actually does help in the long run because it gives you a sense of built-in um, kind of uh, humility. So I think I think one thing that is helpful uh, for me that might be helpful for my male colleagues in ministry is never forget who you really are. Mm -hmm. As a mom, I can't forget that because I can preach the world's greatest sermon, but I still got to put my kids in bed. (laughs) You know, Um, I, you know, this week I had this huge meeting and my husband had huge meetings as well. But when we got off of our meetings, we still had to, make dinner and we still had to eat. So there was, there's a certain built-in grounding that happens that no matter how successful God allows my vocation to be, there's another layer of calling that I have to remember in some cases is, is stronger and more deeply ingrained than, than what I do. And that is as a mom, as a wife, as a daughter. And I would say, to, and I have said to some of my male colleagues, I think the world makes it more tempting for you to see your primary call as pastor or as CEO than it does for me. Because I know mm-hmm. deep down, I may be pastor or CEO on these days, but on the rest of these days, I'm somebody's daughter, I'm somebody's wife, I'm somebody's mom, yeah. um, and I'm somebody's friend. So I would say just don't allow what you do to take the place of who you are. Let who you are as a disciple of Christ, let who you are as a father or a brother or a son or a friend, let that dominate the narrative of your life. And then what Uh you do becomes secondary. And then you give yourself more room to not be super successful in that because you know that doesn't identify you completely. Yeah, no, that's that's so good. And you just realizing that, you know, you're no better than the janitor who's emptying the wastebaskets at night after the workday is over and and you're no more precious to God than than that person. And, uh, -hmm. you know, to just realize that, um, you know, everything we are and everything we have comes from the Lord. So, you know, if, if you're witty or intelligent or capable in some ways, that's not you, that that's, that's, that's 
That's what God gave you. And that's right. What he wants to know is what are you going to do with what I gave you? You know, because I, I gave you those things. That's I, it. I used to I used to hear God saying, Rich, I put you in this job and I can take you out as well. So uh, <laughs> I love and I, that. And I I've been fired twice and people are actually surprised uh, that I would write about that in my book. But it's part of that downward mobility thing where yes. in my case, I got fired twice in one year from two different companies. Mm. And it was God's way of getting my attention, right? Mm-hmm. And God's way of saying, you know what? Um, I need to take you out of the game and put you on the bench for a while because there's some things you need to learn and you need to have time to listen to me. And mm-hmm. I had the longest quiet times of my whole wow. life during those because <laughs> I had nothing to do. I was unemployed, yeah. right? And, yeah. and uh, but, you know, there's a phrase out there, never trust a leader without a limp. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it kind of means that if a leader hasn't experienced some kind of failure, personal, professional, uh, health, whatever, right. uh, a marriage, yes. Um, yes. The, that failure is yes. so important. In, yes. And God uses that to shape our character and to, to make us into the kinds of people he, you know, he wants us to be. I love that. You know, um, one last thing, uh, you serve on several boards. And mm-hmm. when we talk about ministry scandals or mm-hmm. problems, what, what role do you think boards play in mm-hmm. preventing things like that from happening? Man, you know, the board complexity is real. Um, and I was just having a conversation about this today. The complexity of board service is um, about politics. It's about the reasons why you get onto boards and who invites you onto those boards. And, you know, because most people serving on boards are doing this part-time or on the side of a full plate, you know, you kind of come in, you're like, let me do my service. And then I'm going to go pay attention to the other things that are in the center of my plate. So it's easy to get caught in a cycle of just, let's just affirm the curriculum. Okay, fine. If that's what they want to do. Okay, fine. Let's just sign off. And to kind of, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, check out in some ways. Um, And I think this season, and by this season, I mean pandemic, I mean racial injustice, I mean major, you know, uh, exposure to the Christian community. This season calls for people who are willing to strip off the layers of what could be politics and bureaucracy and hierarchy and just speak truth. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that it comes with a cost. But isn't that what leadership is about? It is going to cost us something. Good, true leadership should cost us something. So I would I think the challenge for board members and again, challenge for myself is to see ourselves not just as the co-signers, but Mm -hmm. to see ourselves as leaders who are required and and expected to speak Mm -hmm. truth. And then we leave it to the organization and the board on whether or not they hear that truth. But we have to be accountable to God in speaking it. Yeah. You know, I think if you look at most of the very visible leadership failures, the boards involved tended to be dominated by the leader, the CEO or or the senior pastor, that uh, the board was filled with people who were very inclined to just nod their heads and say yes to everything that Mm -hmm. the leader recommended. And they weren't fully independent. In fact, some boards have, you know, three or four family members on the board of, of the ministry. And of course, you know, so I, I do I do think boards mm-hmm. are very important that they are independent yeah. um, and that they they select their own board members. They yes. don't get bullied by the pastor or the CEO to select so and so and so and so. And then they have to you know, one of their chief jobs is to keep the leader 
mm-hmm. on track and mm-hmm. keep them honest and accountable. Yeah. And, and in fact, our board uh, at World Vision, we, we, we had a practice we called, um, we appointed two people at the beginning of every board meeting. And one was the keeper of the core values, mm. who, whose job it was during the board meeting to make sure that everything we were talking about and doing was consistent with the mission and core values of the organization. Yes. And then we had another board member who wore the title for that board meeting of responsible skeptic. Mm. And the, no, no matter what was proposed, their job was to say, this is what might be wrong with that. This yeah. could be the risk of that. And before we, before we just approve that, you know, what about, what if this does yeah. something that we don't expect like yeah. A, B or C? Yes. And we found that that was a way of helping board members realize that their job was not just to listen and rubber stamp, but to protect the organization and challenge yes. the ideas, kick the tires, if you will, to make sure that those were good ideas, yeah, you know, and those were, really uh, those were, you know, good godly things to, to be done. But that's good. Yeah, so boards are, are pretty important. Um, I agree. You know, um, the focus of my book, as I mentioned, is, is, is about leading with character. And mm-hmm. uh, I talk about values driven leadership in a success driven yeah. world. Yeah. And I, I write about 17 leadership qualities that should yes. define Christian leadership. And they're things like integrity, humility, courage, yes. encouragement, forgiveness, perseverance, love. Yes. So I want to ask you in your own leadership roles, uh, most leaders have values that are just really mm. critical to them. They just mm-hmm. really believe that, you know, as a leader, I, I am always going to be mm-hmm. blank. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always going to be a person who embraces this value. What would mm-hmm. you if you had to highlight like two or three of your mm-hmm. uh, top leadership qualities or values that, mm-hmm. that, that you think are important, what would they be, Nicole? Yeah. So um, this is such a great question. And this is like one of those questions every leader should be asking themselves every like mm. quarter, you know? Um, I think in this season, more than anything, I have valued just true honesty I, again, with all that's at stake in leadership, with all that's happening in our world, we can't afford to have people just smile in our faces and tell us lies. I value honesty. I value people who can handle honest feedback. And I value knowing that people will be honest with me. I never want to be the emperor with no clothes on. You know, I want, yeah. I, I want people to say, this is a blind spot. And this is something that we'll have to work on. Mm-hmm. But I also I also really do value leaders who understand the the importance of Sabbath. Um, I in this pandemic, we've seen organizations um, literally working overtime. I've heard I, I remember having conversations early in the pandemic and it was like, oh, we love working from home. And then a couple months in, it was like, actually, I feel like I just moved into work. I feel like I just pulled my bed up to my desk and put my kitchen right in my, you know, right next to my laptop. I feel like I live here and people mm-hmm. are overworked and exhausted. So I value the rhythms that God created for us to work hard, but also to have rest. And I value what happens in that time of rest, that creativity happens when we rest and, you know, renewed Mm -hmm. energy happens. And I, I can, I can push hard when I know that I have a team and myself included, that we've given our bodies, our minds and our souls a chance to recoup, to reset, to be revived and then come back to it again. Um, those are the two that come to my mind, you know, initially right now. 
honesty and self. Yeah, no, yeah. Those are good. You know, I have a chapter in my book on balance, you know, that yes. a leader, uh, the best leaders manage to achieve some balance in their life. And when you think about work-life balance, it's it's not just how you split your time between your mm-hmm. family and your work. Uh, balance right. is a bigger concept than that. Do you have yeah. enough time with the Lord? You know, yes. are, are you are you setting aside enough time to yes. read and pray? And yes. if, are you, do you have fellowship with other Christians, you yes. know, in, in a non-work environment where yes. you can share your lives together? Right. Are you reading? You know, are you, mm. one of the first questions I ask somebody in an interview when I was hiring senior leaders is, what do you read? Yeah. What do you read? And that tells you a lot. Yes. Some would say, well, I don't have time to read. And I yes. thought, oh, that's too bad because when you read, like you read newspapers or magazines yeah. or or books, yes. they could be fiction books, they could be right. nonfiction books, they could mm-hmm. be books on leadership, they could be, mm-hmm. you know, thrillers or mysteries. But, yeah. you know, you you get a, you develop a bigger worldview, a, a mm-hmm. bigger perspective mm-hmm. on, and then you bring that to work with you, that yep. bigger perspective yep. uh, so okay. that you're, you're a better leader because you're more well-rounded, you're more That's grounded. Right. And yes, uh, but I've also learned that with balance in your life or Sabbath, you, you have to fight for it because yes, you do. The world wants to take away all your balance. They want to take away all your rest. They want to take away, they want you to work, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And, uh, uh, so you, you have to draw some hard boundaries and say, you know what, um, on Sunday, I'm not answering emails. I'm not answering phone calls. I'm not doing podcasts with Rich Stearns. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so, you know, balance is just such a critical uh, yeah. thing in, in our lives. And, uh, and you know, I well, made me think of one more value that I think is probably so obvious that it's, it, I forget sometimes to name it out loud. I value leaders who understand the richness and, and the, the gold mine uh, that can be found in diversity on every level. Mm-hmm. Diversity of gender, diversity of race and ethnicity, diversity of socioeconomic status and geography. I have seen God move most powerfully in my life when I've allowed for another diverse perspective that wasn't my own. And I value leaders who will intentionally look for the unheard voice and intentionally ask the question, who's not at the table? So I think a value for not just blanket diversity for I have an orange, let's have an apple, you know, but but intentional diversity to say we need the perspective of a person of color at this table or we need a woman's mm-hmm. perspective as we think through this. If you look at the people around you as people made in the image of God who are uniquely endowed with giftedness and insight and, and uh, you know, and perspective, mm-hmm. then you want as diverse a group of people as possible around you. Amen. <laughs> um, well, listen, we're, we're, we're running out of, out of time. I've got yeah. two more things I want to do is one of the things I've been doing is I'll, I'll read a quote from my book and I just want you to react to it. You agree, disagree, or add to it. Um, but here's the quote. Uh, <laughs> when we live out the great commandment to love our neighbors by loving and caring about our coworkers, We draw people to the light of the gospel because they see something different in us, something attractive, compelling, and life-giving. We show them a different way to live and work together by bringing the kingdom of God to work with us every day. Mm, Love that. Any reaction to that statement? I think this is the quintessential, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. 
And we don't often get to choose um, who gets to see the love that we're showing. But I think what you're saying is underscored by scripture, that if we, as we show kindness and care to the people, for example, that we work with, coworkers, but also the people we interact with in the grocery store and also the people who help us on Mm -hmm. a regular basis, this is the way that we show God's love to the world in hopes that those watching might might really notice there is a difference. And it, it is a point of grief for me that when this doesn't happen, the world notices. They, I've, I've heard mm-hmm. people, I've seen people mistreat other people and then say that they're a Christian. And someone says, I, I would have never guessed that they were a Christian because they didn't treat other people yeah. well. So I think your, your mm-hmm. point is very, very important. Well, you know, the... The, you know, when Jesus was asked about what is the greatest commandment of them yes. all, he said, yes. there are two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, yes. love your neighbor as yes. yourself. So when you love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying that's like loving God with all your heart, mind, and strength, mm-hmm. because you're loving those that God created. You're loving the people that God created. You're showing God's love. So it's an unusual thing in my book, but one of my 17 leadership qualities is love, you know? And, and I talk about, you even have to love that cranky guy in the cubicle next to you, you know, who is, is a miserable person and treats everybody poorly, but you're called to love that person. And actually, if you show love and respect to that person, they might start to change their ways. You know, they might respond to your kindness in in, in positive ways. So I, I just think that that's, uh, uh, yeah. You know, and if you're if we're called to love our neighbors, for most of us, who are the chief people that would be our neighbors? They're the people that mm-hmm. we work with every day. Yeah, they're the people we see at work, and uh, whether we work virtually or you mm-hmm. know in an office, uh, and you know also the people in your neighborhood, your yes. your church. But um, so we're called to love our our work colleagues as well. And if you love people, you 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 care about what happens to them. You care about you know their careers, their futures. Okay, last question, uh, Nicole. You've been terrific. There's a lot in this uh, interview for people to benefit from. But um, what's the one thing you know now about leadership you wish you had understood when you were 25? Mm. Although you look about 25, so I'm, I'm, you know you. you I'll take it. <laughs> there you go. Um, I think I wish I knew then that. Leadership is not about proving. It's just about following. Um, Mm. I I had to learn on multiple occasions that I have nothing to prove. And usually I have to remember that after I've tried to prove something. Yeah. Knowing that you have nothing to prove, knowing that the results are not all on you and the weight is not all on you, frees you to be able to follow God in his rhythms, at his times, to do all the things that you're suggesting, listen to the crowds and, you know, exercise balance and and show love. Those things are only possible when leadership is not about me. It is Mm -hmm. about God. And I wish I could have told that ambitious younger self, Mm -hmm. don't rush to get to the top position on the ladder. Just enjoy each of these moments because the the you know if you if you trust god enough the exposure will come the successes will come and when they come let it be told internally for yourself that this is not because i did all the right things let it be because god did this through me and it's marvelous in my eyes mm. 
Well, that is a beautiful note to end on and uh, so much wisdom in that, uh, those comments. And I just want to thank you for being on the podcast. I think your words are going to be an encouragement to those who listen, uh, especially younger leaders who are struggling with all of these issues yes. in their in their careers, their lives, their families, their communities, their churches. And so thank you, Nicole Massey-Martin, Dr. Nicole Massey-Martin. I hope to see you preaching at our church again. And uh, yes. uh, <laughs> maybe maybe later this year or next year. And yes. uh, I'll tell my pastor uh, that we need to get more of Nicole Massey-Martin in, in our oh, pulpit. So thank, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a blessing and I cannot wait to put your book on my syllabus the next time I'm teaching. <laughs> there you go. I'll amen to that. Amen. So, thanks so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for joining Rich Stearns today on the podcast and check out his new book, Lead Like It Matters to God, Values-Driven Leadership in a Success-Driven World. In this book, Rich draws on his experience as a CEO in three different organizations to offer important insights and advice for Christian leaders. Learn more about the 17 leadership values that can transform your own leadership effectiveness. Lead Like It Matters to God is available in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook formats.